This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 32 of Real Blend, a podcast that challenges anyone to have a cooler first tweet than the one that J.J. Abrams just uh. dropped on us. Physically impossible. Um, I am Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and one of three co-hosts on this informative and entertaining podcast. So joining me, as always, is Kevin McCarthy, the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you? Good afternoon to you, Jonathan, and uh, Jakey Jakey about to make a big mistake And also, uh, shout out to our producer, Gabriel, who's um, the son of Gabriel Byrne. Kevin's t-shirt is a tease uh, to a segment that we're going to do later, because he took a trip to bend oregon to the existing uh the last existing blockbuster video and he got jake a shirt but didn't get me a shirt um so that <laughs> references for one specifically i just i just assumed you got it for me because we're good friends i will show you your text you, by the way jake asked me for a small and yes. i picked it up and it was it was it would fit a baby maybe so I got you a medium. So don't one. I, don't want you I to like get my shirt. I like I like my shirts fitted. No, but this okay. is this, this would have fit you. You would have had full stomach line. It would have been like yeah. way. It would have been way too way too small for you, man. That's, that's wow. how I like it. Your shirt will fit you better than mine, Jake. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't of have course one. it will. <laughs> Not at all. Jake Hamilton, Fox Thirty Two in Chicago. Hi, Jake. How are you? Damn good to see you, sir. It's very good to see you. Also, this is a live weekly podcast. It airs on the Cinema Blend Facebook page. Hopefully you're watching us there right now. Uh, in addition, you can download us later on iTunes, Google Play, Android, Spotify, and so many other different places where people pick up their podcasts. More importantly, you can leave us a review. And honestly, guys, we have three new ones. You guys have been really crushing it, sending us fantastic reviews. We're so really happy that you guys are interacting with the show and and responding to it and totally getting on board. We're going to read two of them. Um, we're going to hold one for next week. Uh, because really, if we just keep gushing like that, uh, it, it just gets, I don't know. I, I don't like patting ourselves on the back that much. But uh, what are you pointing at? Oh, with your uh, your cybertronic. By the way, uh, my mom has been working overtime on our downloads and uh, our comments. So every right. comment we get is my mom and every download my mom. So she just uh, she just stays up all night and just downloads our podcast all day well, and all night. Your mom chose a really strange name for this first review. It's from the bearded man. <laughs> and he writes, I've been a huge movie fan since I saw Jurassic Park in theaters way too young. Uh, I loved it. To this day, going to the movies will lift me out of any funk or days. When I got into podcasts, I searched for a movie podcast that gave me great news and great conversation without coming off as stuck-up critics who want to destroy a film instead of enjoying enjoying it. Enjoy it? Then I found this podcast. I find myself laughing and agreeing every week all across the board. Just like going to the movies, you can bring me out of any funk or days. I hope this isn't too long to read on the podcast. Clearly it's not. Uh, love you guys. Keep it up from the bearded man, a.k.a. Kevin's mom. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, a, then, that's a great review. Thank you. Yeah, that's, really, I, that's, uh, that's very kind. I will that say means, this about about that review that he said because i feel like and I, and I agree on everything he said about us specifically because there are so many people in this business that i do think 
genuinely get jaded after a long time. And there's a snarkiness that comes with reviews nowadays. And, and, and I'm not saying it's a lot, it's a lot of people or there's certain people I'm not going to mention, but like there is a snarkiness that comes with film criticism. That's unfortunate. And I think people genuinely lose their love and passion for watching films because of the job sometimes. So that's literally all three of us. All we do is text all day long about movies. So this is as genuine as we are on the podcast is who we are in real life, which is kind of cool. So it's, it's, I'm glad that they noted that. That was cool. Well, let me say uh, KP. KP writes the second one, and he says, This podcast has definitely made its way to my number one. I really enjoy listening to these guys talk about their love and knowledge of cinema, and they have some amazing guests occasionally as well. It's about time there's a podcast like this, and Hero Blend and Cord Cutters are also fantastic podcasts to subscribe to as well. That's part of the Cinema Blend family. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cinema Blend, for making such great podcasts, and don't stop this wonderful thing you got going on here. P.S. Dunkirk with seven exclamation points. Oh, seven. seven. That's seven. awesome. Good. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Jake, come on, man. Just, just happy That's that Dunkirk a, thing no. is, is taking off. Comment fantastic. Yes. I. <laughs> one, one day, I, and, and here's the thing. I, and I have a lot of visions for our show's future. Right. And I, I think a lot about the things that we could possibly do, like set up screenings for our listeners sometimes. It would be kind of fun. But I think one day... If we if this show ever gets big enough, right? How cool would it be if we could somehow convince Chris Nolan to do like a double feature, seventy millimeter IMAX, real blend showing of Dunkirk and Interstellar? I would and love it. I, I just want to sit with you guys and look at your faces, and I want you to tell me to my face why you didn't love Interstellar. I, I just want, I, I dude, want to, I it, it was on my top ten list. Or Dunkirk, you didn't love Dunkirk. It was number four on my top ten list. Wait, who didn't like? Oh no, Sean doesn't like liked Interstellar. It. I Sean liked doesn't it. like Interstellar. Oh, I hate Interstellar. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, was, I, I got you guys fun. mixed up. Um, I want to say too on on the Facebook. Are we not to not to go completely off the rails in the first five minutes of the show? Um, are we going to go to the Dark Knight in IMAX um, in New York? That feels like something we really should do, right? What's the date on that? The 18th? It, I don't know. Apparently, August. you two are making plans without me. I don't know. It's in August. Kevin, Kevin's, yeah. Kevin's buying shirts for some people and inviting <laughs> others to the Dark Knight. <laughs> IMAX tickets for I was, I was unaware of this. <laughs> There's a lot of like double-crossing and backstabbing happening behind the scenes. Here this <laughs> and podcast. somehow it links back to you every time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Um, I want to bring up Arthur W. Mingo III, who is watching on our Facebook feed, who says, hey, guys, your cheesecake was awesome. So let's tell this story <laughs> oh, <laughs> really this briefly. Arthur, uh, my Arthur man. Arthur was our 200th follower on Twitter. And um, we were at 199 when we did a uh, we were doing a podcast. We were live in the podcast. And we said, hey, be our 200th follower. And um We'll send you a cake. I, again, I want to say it was Kevin who stepped up and said, <laughs> we will send you a cake. Um, but we did. We ended up sending him a cake, and you can go to our, our Twitter you feed. You did I that. did. I did that. Well, because I just loved the story. I think it was great that he then followed us like immediately after we said it on the show live. It wasn't even like a, a download later. He was paying attention. He was interactive. It's, I like doing that on our Twitter page, really just interacting with the people. It's why we do the blend game, which I'll mention in a second. And so we ordered him a cake, and we got it sent to him, and he put pictures of it. He had champagne that went with it. Fantastic. That wasn't from us. That was the classiest cake. I have an idea for the 300th follower. All right. Um, I was thinking oh, that our, three, our 300th follower will fly to North Carolina, where okay. Sean lives, okay. and you will watch Forrest Gump 10 times in a <laughs> row together. <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen. Please. I, I will turn the Twitter account off. <laughs> 
<laughs> at 298 for fear of that ever happening. Uh, the blend game this week is going to be Philip Seymour Hoffman, and we made a tweak to it. So make sure you stick around for the end of the show where we used to debate um, the best performance or film by the person in question. But this week, we're going to change it to our favorite performance. And we kind of think that that's going to inspire some more passionate conversation and maybe mix up our choices. We should also go back over then for people that we did best. If there's Yeah, any I was thinking that, that too. Out. I'd love to go back because a majority of mine would probably be different. Yeah. I, and sometimes yeah. in the moment we said, oh... We feel that this is his best, but the, I, Jacob, we have to go back and do Tom Hanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I find interesting is like when somebody ever asks me what's your what's your favorite movie of all time, and like there's such an interesting uh, difference between best and favorite. And I remember yeah. when we when we first started our show, we were doing all these blends, and every one of them was best, which was very hard. I mean, there was a couple that we all had a really hard time with Spielberg specifically. Like I would love to go back because I think we all chose Tarantino. our best Spielberg movie. We did Jaws and things like that. But like to think about what our favorite. I remember Jake even saying in his. In, I think we Jake chose Jaws for his best, I believe. And then mm-hmm. when he said his favorite was Jurassic Park, which was an interesting this thing because because it, 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 it it's an interesting Good perspective. Memory. So yeah, I think that maybe as the shows go on, maybe we can revisit some of those and just kind of mention them. But yeah, for people listening today, we are going to be mentioning our favorite performance. So it doesn't necessarily and, mean and favorites it's the also best. interesting too because there's an X factor to each of us. You know, each of us might pick a, a favorite film because of something that has nothing to do with the film whatsoever as much as it did the film's impact on us or how we saw it the first time or who we saw it right. with. Right. And and at the end of the day, that's movie going. That's that's how you love movies. That's why you love movies. Uh, you don't love movies because they're technically the best one way or the other. You love movies because you remember who you saw them with. I, dude, I, I'll, I'll never forget the, some of the movie experiences I had with Kevin or that I had with Sean or, or after seeing Gravity, like hanging out in the hotel with the two of you and like geeking out. I don't remember Gravity because of like the technical aspects of the special effects. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Gravity is hanging out with you two and geeking out. And that's what film is. So it yeah. really, really psychs me out that we're switch- switching over to favorite. And for, for people tuning in for our, to our show for the first time, or maybe just, just caught on a couple episodes ago, this podcast started in Toronto years ago after a screening of Gravity. Uh, and we never, we never continued doing it from that point until last year. We kind of started it up again. But we all met in Sean's room and we, and we recorded a, a review of Gravity because the movie had such an impact on us emotionally and cinematically. We were all just shocked by what we just experienced. That we didn't under we didn't know what to do other than get into a room and just talk about it because there was like there was it was very hard to kind of keep those feelings in so that's kind of uh, where the podcast started which is cool. Um, Paul is watching us on the Facebook feed and is asking if we're going to fly him in from Australia to watch Forrest Gump <laughs> <laughs> with me. So ten times this ten one's coming out of Kevin's pocket. Kevin, I did a cake. Got, Kevin's oh, got the miles. Kevin has the miles actually. For the record. <laughs> Kevin, if we get the 300, can you use your miles to fly this person from Australia? I'll watch Forrest Gump with this person if you use your miles. I want to clarify, the flight and travel accommodations will not be covered by real (laughs) Pay for it by a cinema blend. Come on. What you win is a 10 viewing back-to-back with Sean O'Connor. But, like, okay, that's not fair because, okay, let's let's, let's put this in reality for a second. I love Forrest Gump, but I wouldn't want to watch it 10 times in a row. You would watch it 10 times in a row. No. No. No, I no. watched Infinity War twice in the past two days, and even now I'm ready to put that on the shelf. That's my number one movie of the year, and I'm like, I don't really. Oh, uh, it just came in the mail uh, for me. 
Yeah, nice. Um, let's get the news. Speaking of Marvel and news. speaking of uh, news, news. We really, Gabe, we need a soundbite that gets us like a transition, a musical Time transition. Time to go to the news. <laughs> let's start with James Gunn, um, who we didn't uh, get a chance to talk about last week, and I'm kind of glad that we held off on discussing it because since the cast has released a statement uh, basically uh, collecting their thoughts. Uh, uh, who, who, what's I going to say? Who plays Drax? Dave Batista. Uh, he's been vocal on social media from the moment that this happened. Uh, everybody else is kind of sitting back and, and letting it play out or at least collect their thoughts. They release a joint statement. It basically says, in essence, while we don't really defend what James, the jokes that he made, and it's who can, like it's, it's really hard to defend those jokes. The point of the Guardians franchise and what they've seen of James Gunn over the years and working with him um, for a couple of years on Guardians 1 and 2 is that he's a changed person. He's not that person that he is uh years ago or that he was years ago and the point of the guardians franchise has been like these people evolving past their difficult pasts finding family uh turning the page moving forward so my question to you guys basically not at this point because i'm I'm not here to debate like whether his jokes are right or whether he deserved to lose his job but at this stage now is there a chance disney backpedals at all do they do they sort of say we reacted too quickly and 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 the points because I think the points being made by the cast are legit. You know that whether you disagree with the jokes or not, people can change a lot. Yeah, and, and you know what? There there are a lot of Disney films. I think you could go back and point at and say like, hey, like hopefully everyone's evolved. I mean, look at like Song of the South and like certain shots of Peter Pan where it's like, you know what? Even Disney or D- Disney himself was yeah, not absolutely a perfect person. So it's a little hypocritical for that company to say like you need to have been squeaky queen clean your entire life and sure. not made any mistakes that being said disney right now doesn't strike me as the kind of company that comes back and says yeah we made a mistake i really? could see right now that they're in a boardroom saying like uh ah, maybe we we jumped on the gun too fast especially after everything that happened with roseanne um but i i don't think they come back unfortunately i i wish i think it would be great if they if they said hey you know what we're sorry we made a mistake bring james back but i don't think they do one okay. thing I find interesting about the storyline is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, James Gunn's, these tweets came to light before he even made Guardians 1, right? And I believe he apologized, he apologized. He for did. them yes. before he made Guardians 1. I don't know the exact timeline of that, but I do know that that apology was made by Gunn at some point prior to Guardians 1 being released. And if, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, somebody double check the dates on that, but it came out years ago. And there's an article that he apologized for. I think it was 2012, somewhere around that time frame. So my question is, if he already apologized for it and Disney was already fully aware of it, right. um, what is the firing for now other than somebody bringing the tweets again to light and those tweets then being blasted out on social media where social media can, and can light a flame, uh, that, any old flame, and bring it back up to the forefront and, and, and get people talking about it again, which is exactly what happened. Because I, I, from what I understand, James was very vocal about Trump, right, and then that, that then the Trump uh, element, the conservative side of uh, of people on Twitter, then found those tweets. I believe that's kind of the storyline of what happened, right? Basically, so, I think he just I think he angered people for political reasons, right? And then they dug through his old tweets to find stuff and, that was offensive, right? So I guess my my question is, and th- the thing is, the tweets are horrible. I mean, they're very they're actually very hard to read, and and, and they're not. I, I don't care if you're joking or not. I. I I just don't think people should joke about anything that he joked about personally. Um, but I do understand that people change and people grow up and people get older and, and they grow into different people. So 
yeah, it, it's a tough situation. I am still processing it. I don't have a thought. I don't. I don't know what I would do if I was Disney. I don't know what I would well, do. But the fact that the cast has come out with that entire signed letter uh, asking him to be reinstated, um, it's fascinating to me. I, I, I don't. There's yeah. there's two sides to it because Jake, you brought up the Roseanne controversy, and I think that yeah. that's fresh on people's minds. But to me, it the thing I think about is the solo controversy of switching directors. That Disney just went through this. And that to me, it seems like all of the stories that are going to follow Guardians 3 as a movie now is yeah. going to be, but what would have happened if James Gunn could have kept it? And it almost yeah. doesn't matter. Like that job to me now looks like to- like toxic. Like who would yeah, step in? Yeah, I mean, who, what director wants to take that? Exactly. Correct. Uh, by the way, because essentially then you have to just replicate what James Gunn did. You can't come in on the third one and say, I'm going to change the Guardian style completely. Right, exactly. And so, you know, we floated something on the site that was like, do they even do part three or do they just, they have so many other sequels that they could pursue. Do they just put that script on a shelf and chalk it up to, oh boy, you know. I mean, if you think about it, like even like Disney's golden boy, Robert Downey Jr. has a pretty toxic past. Oh, yes. Things that have followed him. Yes. Uh, I mean, not not that he's a Disney guy, but like Mel Gibson just put out a Christmas comedy that grows to $100 million. Hollywood is a forgiving business. Yeah. Disney itself right. does not have the greatest uh, history, period. I just think it's incredibly hypocritical. Again, I'm, I'm echoing the sentiment of not defending what he said, but right. I, I, I'm yeah. against... Indefensible. I'm against this, this pitchfork mob mentality of... Uh, jumping the gun to uh, to to avoid some sort of a PR issue, which seems to be what they did, but and th- thereby creating a PR issue. To clarify what I was saying earlier, I'm looking at an article now from the Hollywood Reporter from 2012. This is dated 11 29 2012. Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn apologizes for controversial jokes. I'm sorry, I'm regret making them at all. Now I don't know the time frame of every joke that was pulled up in regards to this particular story, but I would imagine, based on this apology, that there were some offensive and controversial ones prior to this date. The first Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, so this was 2012 that these apologies came out. So there were clearly articles, and clearly things out there that made James Gunn have to publicly apologize for controversial remarks that he made. So that would make me believe that Disney was fully aware of what James Gunn was talking about on his Twitter in 2012. So when it comes down to this firing... This is, as Jake said, this mob mentality, this this element. So that, there's two sides to this that I feel, and I think we all can agree on this. The comments he made were awful. They're indefensible, yes. and I have genuinely had – they're awful things that I don't think anybody should say. I do think that they needed to be apologized for, and there needed to be some type of reprimanding for it. But that happened in 2012 in regards to the apology aspect of it. If Disney was so serious about that – why they let him continue making Guardians of the Galaxy and or releasing it and or making a sequel. Um, and then James Gunn's very very pivotal person in regards to the Avengers. Apparently he was very big on what the Infinity War did with the Guardians cast. I mean, the guy is... Well, it's uh, not just ca- that. His brother plays Rocket, essentially. Right. Yeah. You know, he's Phys- the motion capture. Yeah. yeah. Sean Gunn motion captures Rocket. There's hypocrisy over this entire thing. There is. And I, I, th- but, I just think it could have been avoided yeah. if Disney said at the time, we addressed this before we yeah. hired him. Like you Disney know? had the chance to step up and do what I consider to be the right thing, which is say like, look, like we're not going to be pushed around by trolls online. And, and what I also think this essentially d- it sets a dangerous precedent to like the, yes. f- the next time someone says something online that a certain group of people don't like, Right. Are they going to go find something about them that's going to, you know, it's just... This is why I send our readers cake, 
because I just want them to stay nice to yeah. us. Well, I think we, what we I think is about to show. happen is a large number of, of uh, celebrities who we've enjoyed having access to on social media are about to just disappear because they're going to say, well, yeah. it's just not worth it. If something that, uh, that I wrote 20 years ago, granted, not defending what the guy said, but exactly. if something 20 years ago could be, could, could be brought back and, and used against me, then, uh, then what's the point of even doing this whole thing? I, I saw an article today, and again, I, again, I don't know if this is 100% true or if, even if these people were even following James Gunn to begin with. There's an article out right now about actors who have unfollowed James Gunn since the story happened. If you type it into Google, type in like type in uh, either James Gunn, Robert Downey Jr., unfollow, or Tom Hiddleston. So mm-hmm. someone had a tweet today that Tom Hiddleston apparently logged into Twitter just to unfollow James Gunn. Now, I don't know if that's true, but yeah. these th- that's floating around on a, on a trending topic on my Twitter timeline right now that Sorry. like the Robert Downey Jr. and Chris <laughs> Evans and Tom Hiddleston either never followed him or unfollowed him, but that's just a story that I had seen today. If you guys want to read up on it, let me know, but I just thought that was interesting. All right, so usually Twitter is a cesspool um, <laughs> where only bad things happen, and every once in a while, someone like J.J. Abrams joins and tweets the very first picture from the set of Star Wars Episode Nine, which is going into production today. Uh, I'm super excited by that. This seems to be. Um, listen, I'm on record saying I loved Ryan. I, I now love what Ryan did, but I'm thrilled that JJ is back in in the director's chair and bringing this conclusion of the Star Wars trilogy, the Skywalker story, uh, to its end. We didn't see much in the photo, but what did you guys think about the fact that this is now up and running? Are we getting excited for Episode Nine? Uh, yeah, I mean. It's one of those, I think because it's just so far out that it, like, I saw the photo and was like, okay, cool, like, this is great. And then it's just sort of like, I kind of moved on with my day. Not to sound like a, not to sound like a jaded Star Wars fan, but like, we got a long ways to go. And this is, this is a marathon, not a sprint. If I think use up all my excitement when, on day one. Think back to when The Force Awakens put out their first yeah, cast photo. That was photo. different, dude. That was different. No, I know, but that's that what I'm saying. like person. We were analyzing that black and white yeah. cast photo of all of them sitting around the chairs, like who's sitting next to who, yeah. and oh look look who's back, and here are the Ooh, new players. Mark, I bet he's gonna have a great role. Okay, yeah. that okay. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, there's two topics we have to get into with regards to episode nine. Mark Hamill coming back. Um, and yep. let's start there. I don't want to bring up the second one yet. Uh, Mark Hamill coming back. We're not surprised, but 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 like the assumption automatically is like, well, he'll just be a force ghost. But, like, is that really the assumption? Does he actually die at the end of Last Jedi? What is that I, that he did? He did what Obi-Wan did. I, honestly, yeah? that was so underwhelming to me. That whole entire ending was underwhelming. And everything about that movie was underwhelming. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, 100% he'll be back as either Just a, a Force ghost, ghost or... Yeah. Uh, or maybe he's not dead. I, I have no idea. I mean, the whole concept of that ending, would, meaning that he used so much of himself, right, that he just vanished. That's kind of yeah. the point of that aspect. So I guess I don't know. I mean, what, I'm trying to remember the shot. We see him like there, and then and then and then the, and then the, the shot and just, from behind, and the robe just and sort it of falls. falls. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm very curious about the Carrie Fisher element to it because I think we've all said at the end of Episode Eight. I mean, at least in my opinion, when Episode Eight ended, I had genuinely had no need in my mind or excitement to see another star wars movie continuing this particular story um but with the ending of episode eight being so carrie fisher heavy in regards to her character essentially taking the baton and starting to run with it i don't know what they're gonna do unless jj just goes you know what i mean because listen we all i think we all agreed that what jj what ryan did with 
episode eight, it felt like he just kind of threw away everything JJ set up. So, so this is the second point that I wanted to bring up was the, yeah. the news that they're going to use existing footage from force awakens, um, to, and, and change it in a way to give Leia closure in nine. And I, I'm, I'm fine with that versus, you know, bringing her back through CGI motion capture that the star Wars franchise has played around with, but I just don't know how much footage they actually have. Apparently there are longer scenes that she shot that they never used. They didn't make it into the final cut. And I guess they can sort of pluck her out of that and then put her into other scenes. And there's a million things they can do now with technology, but it's, and, and I understand that they painted themselves into a corner. There's, they've been painted into a corner by the fact that Carrie Fisher passed away. They couldn't control that, but this seems like the only natural way that they could, they can continue to use her character for as long as they can. If I could have permission to just to get technical for one second, um, one sure. thing about JJ that I loved in regards to, you guys can laugh, I'll keep this short, um, but one <laughs> thing I loved about what JJ did with Force Awakens is he genuinely shot 35 mil film and then actual IMAX film for the whole sequence where we see the Falcon. Uh, it's the sequence when um, Boyega and Ridley run out and they get into the Falcon, right? And they start yeah, flying. That was full, fully it's IMAX. amazing. And I convinced Sean when he was in DC when that theater still had a 70 millimeter IMAX screen to go there just to see that scene in 70 mil IMAX, which was they got rid of that screen. It's no, it's laser. It's laser now, so it's it's oh, the same screen, just not that filmed. Theater's great. It's all made to me. It's it's great. I still love the yeah. theater. I just wish it was still filmed. Anyways, uh, my point being is that JJ genuinely shot that way. Ryan, I think. I don't remember his movie expanding to IMAX, and I think he still mm -hmm. used IMAX film. I don't know why it didn't expand the way I, I thought it would. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But one thing I want to point out is the gentleman who shoots J.J.'s movies, Dan Mendel, who shot like Star Trek and, and, Star, and Force Awakens, is now shooting episode nine. Follow him on Instagram, um, because if you're like a tech person in regards to films and cameras and lenses, all he does is post like, behind-the-scenes shots of just, like, cameras and stuff he's using on the day. Um, so, I mean, while it might not be, like, a Star Wars uh, a spoiler storyline point, it's just kind of cool to see what he's choosing to shoot on. And I think the work he did on the first Star Trek, especially the opening with um, Giacchino's music and that, just the mm -hmm. way, he, like, the, the, the canted angles and the way he did that, he's a brilliant cinematographer. So he's coming back for Nine, so please... If you get a chance, follow him on Instagram. It's actually a really cool, cool follow if you're into that I'm kind of stuff. I'm going to follow but him right now. I'm Jake, hoping... are you okay with what they're doing with Carrie? Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of gives me hope because I feel like the easiest thing for them to do would just start out the, with the scroll with Princess Leia is dead. They obviously right. found something. I just, I don't think they would insert her in there unless what they had at least somewhat sort of goes along with the story that they had planned for her. So the fact that they're willing to put her in, to me, I, I, I don't, you know, th there's so much writing on this and so much attention is going to be paid to this that to me that says they found something that applies to their story. And that gives me hope. I, I trust J.J. a lot more than I trust Ryan Johnson um, <laughs> and a lot more than I would have trusted Colin Trevorrow. Uh, so yeah. oh, I, they, can you I imagine am, if that was yeah. still happening? God, that's I, not <laughs> to, yeah. I, I feel like we're gonna be okay. I, I, I will say, somebody Jake, who's never you... gonna be a guest on the podcast now that we just waited on that for sentiment. what? Book of Henry two, <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic World seven, second Jurassic World. By the way, Jake, would you? Uh, I, I would think that um, based on what you said just now, Jake, I would think that you know having the idea of Carrie Fisher's footage reinstated from uh, Episode seven. Could that possibly have given you a uh, new hope? 
I hate this podcast. <laughs> I really do. Jake, 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 do you get it? Because episode four was New Hope. Do you get it, Jake? You said you're going to hate us even more, Jake, when I transition us into the Venom trailer that dropped this week. God. Because from what I understand, you guys aren't fans of of Tom Hardy's new superhero adventure. Um, When when the, when the, the, the beautiful finale metaphor of comparing someone to a turd is not the worst part of the trailer... You know, you know in the wind. you're in trouble. A turd in the wind. <laughs> People get paid to write these things. Get paid yep. vast sums of money. Yes, they to do. To write these things. I will say, let me let me go first because I'm I'm a little bit more positive than you guys are. Um, I think it looks it. This looks the best that this movie has looked so far. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> means what does that mean? That, what, it means how, that how? the first Venom trailer had no Venom in it. That was and better the, than this trailer. The second Venom trailer had your first reveal of Venom, and everybody treated it very sexually, which was a weird reaction to Venom. And now at least, like, the symbiote is is moving around the way that it should, but no, I'm still just not convinced that this is a movie that needed to happen. And it you can see the fan base um, holding on to the last threads of it. It's just like, well, it's Tom Hardy, and he's a great actor, so he's going to yeah, save it somehow. Yeah, his accent sounds horrible. Yeah, the voice. I don't understand the I'm voice. I'm a reporter. <laughs> yeah, that is a See, strange way to. I don't mind his real voice, right? But the Venom voice is, in my opinion, one of the worst things I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. It sounds terrible. I don't get why it sounds like that. It sounds like it sounds like they're trying to be cool, but immensely just failing horrifically. It just sounds well, bad. So at the Hall H panel in San Diego, when they showed that, the acoustics in the room made it so that you didn't understand a single word that Venom was saying at all. It like just Bane. sounded very similar to Bane. And it made me think, so in the trailer itself, it's it's better. You understand what he's saying, which means that you're allowed to hear word, the phrases like a turd in the wind. <laughs> Has there the wind. ever been an actor <laughs> whose entire career he's been so hard to understand? Like, no. Dark Knight Rises and Mad Max and The Revenant and now Venom, like a great actor. But like, maybe we just don't understand Tom Hardy. Maybe it's not like the sound design or the sound mixing. Maybe Tom Hardy's just really hard to understand. Listen, I love Ruben Fleischer. This filmmaker, Zombie Lamb was amazing. Zombie Lamb was a five out of five for me. I love that script. I love the film. I love Brett Reese and Paul Warnick. Zombie Lamb was, when they announced Zombie Land 2, I don't, is, is Ruben doing two? Did they announce him as the filmmaker? I know that the the cast yeah, is announced. I think so. I think I I think Ruben Flash is a great director. I I think Zombieland was a it was a great film that I was hoping for better out of him. But this movie, well, I think a lot there's there's a couple things going into Venom that I think people were upset about. One that has nothing to do with the MCU. So that that it feels in, like in in association with Marvel, right? Which, which it, sort of feels like Marvel saying like eh like. It, it's a movie, it, but it it's, almost feels like got one of our guys in it. Why? <laughs> and listen, I um, people are gonna kill me for this, but I didn't hate Spider Man Three. I thought it was. I remember interviewing uh, uh, Sam Raimi for Drag Me to Hell, and I was like, "By the way, I really actually like uh, uh, Spider Man Three. He goes, "Yes, you, and my, you, and my mom. That's it. Just you, and my mom." Because he know <laughs> that movie. Listen, that movie was it was not great. I mean, the dancing scene's horrible, but I did I did like. Um, I thought Topher Grace was was fine as Venom. I didn't I didn't hate that. But that being said, uh, it, the trailer's horrible. It, and and listen, we can sit here all day and debate trailers and what they mean and what they are and like 
like Suicide Squad will always be my the, the standard for me in regards to what a trailer does and what the movie ends up doing. I mean, because that movie was, the trailer was a five out of five. The trailer should have won an Oscar. It was phenomenal. But then the movie was very underwhelming. So listen, we can be watching a bad trailer. You never know. We don't know who cut this. It could be, I don't know what company cut it. But I will say the voice that Venom has right. is atrocious. It's, 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 uh, it's unbearable. It's horrible. Also, you can't uh, you can't do a Venom movie like without Spider Man. Like they they are it's like it's and I know we made this joke before. It's like doing a Joker movie without Batman, which we're going to get uh, apparently. I know. Jake, or, Jake, what'd you think of the trailer? Seriously, what was your thoughts on it? The, the Venom trailer? Oh, it's, yeah. It is. It is. It's bad. It's bad. Here's what I'll say: Is that I the fact that there's a, a do we know if it's going to be R rated or PG thirteen? That's my question too. I think it should be R rated. Uh, I mean, it's like but here's I mean, the thing. There's a way to do 13 and make it look R. And Nolan did that with The Dark Knight. There's a way to do it. It's just about... But it, this is so much CG. There was a cool shot, though, I thought was cool. Someone screenshotted it. This is like the best thing of the trailer. There was the, Sean, remind me, I'm bad with character names. R- who's Riz Ahmad playing in the film? Uh, well, he's going to end up becoming a uh, symbiote called Riot. But okay. um, he essentially runs a lab that's inve- that's experimenting with the symbiotes, which they acquire from outer space. But somehow. in the trailer, isn't there a shot of them fighting and then yeah. half their faces are showing? Yeah, with, like, which Tom's- is a big time comic book panel. Like anytime Venom is fighting, like the symbiote separates from the host and they can yeah. sort of. And, and yeah, that's a splashy. That's a splashy uh, image to show. I just and I found like the stinger at the end of the trailer to be like so forced. Horrible. It was. I mean, Horrible. like he's like in that store Horrible. and like. Like oh, oh oh okay I'm just gonna walk off now after murdering this person as Venom like like it was just, it was just like I assume those were two different scenes stitched together. Do you think so? I don't know. I, mean, I like, think I, so too. Yeah. It was just I don't know. I just found that to be really bad. I, I just All don't right. like the, the 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 I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's bad. It's just a bad trailer. Here's something truly great. There is one blockbuster video still ex- in ex- in an existence. Jeez, come on now, speak. Um, and Kevin went to it, and it's in Bend, Oregon. And yeah. he, I got a T-shirt. I got a went, T-shirt. And he went out of his way to go visit it. And Kevin, tell us about this because I need to know, like, where is it? Like, does it is it in a strip mall? Is it all by itself? Is it crowded? Are they really proud of the fact that they're the last ones? Like, fill us in on the details of going to visit the last existing blockbuster video. It was. Here's the thing. I I, I figured I was going to show up. It was going to be run down. There's going to be nobody there except for people taking pictures out front. I was genuinely shocked how many people were going there to rent movies legitimately, like DVDs. Right. Um, so the places, it's in Bend, Oregon. Uh, if you're not following the story in the media, basically there were three left. There was two left in Alaska. They announced they were closing on the 12th. They officially closed down on the 16th of July, and then they reopened for inventory sailing until the ne- until the end of August. So right now, the only blockbuster in the entire country renting films is the one in Bend, Oregon. Um, yeah. When I landed, I had to fly into some random airport in some in Redmond, Redmond, Oregon. I think it was the it was the specific city, Redmond Municipal Airport. I landed. It was 17 minutes from the actual um, airport itself. Went to my hotel, dropped my bags because I was shooting a story the next day, but I I couldn't go to my room and not go to Blockbuster. I had to like see it. I was I was five minutes away from it. Um, so I walked in. Well, first of all, I pull up and. It's in a strip mall. Yeah, there's a pizza place next to it, and then one more store to the left of it. It's relatively small. I mean, it's actually a pretty 
amazing little city. I'd never been there, been or heard of Bend before, but people were tweeting me saying, you got to go there and do this. Because I think there's a lot of fires happening in Oregon right now. So there's like some smoke that was still kind of covering some of the mountains. I, I, I didn't smell anything specifically, but I think it's a little further uh, further away. Um, Kevin, show off the shirt. I'm saying they're, they're, being, oh, yeah. they're telling us the lower third is covering it right there now. There we go. So. There we nice. go, right there. That's awesome. All right, so, but I got I'll one keep, of those. I got one yeah. of those. That's Jake awesome. Did. So I'll keep yeah. this brief. So the first thing I did was I walked in the store, and the first thing, well, the first thing that happened when I walked in the store was I walked in, and a woman to the right of me was holding a DVD in her hand, saying the name Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, that's so weird. So I, I walked in, I went and I went over to the shelf that she was standing at, and I picked up the movie she was looking at. I'd never heard of it. It was called Voices or something. I didn't the know Voices. what it was. Never yeah. heard of it. Anna the guy Kendrick. is told by his cat to murder people. Yeah, it was. What? Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. strange. Why have I not seen this film? I never heard it's of really it either. Weird. So it's funny. Um, it's very funny. So my first order of business as, after that was was to go see if Terminator Two was available in the store because um, that was the movie I rented all the time as a kid. So I went over to the section; it wasn't there. I was super bummed, um, but I was like, okay, I gotta rent some film. So oddly enough, the second I looked down from the Terminator shelf, True Romance was sitting there. So I grabbed True Romance. There's a couple copies in the store, I guess. I rented that. I rented the Sandlot, um, uh, Ready Player One, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I can't. I'm blanking. I went up to the counter and I opened an account. Face off. You got face, face off. Face off. There you go. Uh, right. And I and I opened an account and I said to the guy, "Can I get a name tag?" He goes, "No, we don't give those out. They're really hard to find." Which I later found out was not true. Um, and then <laughs> on top of that, uh, I said, "Can I have a membership card?" He goes, "No, we don't really make those anymore. Now it's all based on name." So I looked over to the right of the counter. I saw like a couple plastic sheets and the blockbuster thing. I was like, I was like, is there a way you can make me one? He goes, I normally don't. Our printer's down, but I'll write one out for you. So he like, it was crazy. It was like old days. And when you go to Blockbuster, remember that it was the plastic card wrapped around the blue Blockbuster yeah. card, but the plastic outline went all the way around it. So he made one for me. And I rented the films. And I left that night, went back to my place, ordered pizza, went to sleep, and woke up in the morning, did live shots. Then I went back to the Blockbuster the next day and Sandy, the manager there, let me actually work there while I was there. That's so amazing. here's the crazy part. When I walked, this, this is going to blow your mind. When I walked up to the store at 10 a.m., it opens at 1030, there was already people outside waiting to go in, one, and take pictures, two. As I was shooting my live, sta- my stand-up for the package I was shooting, a woman walks by and puts a movie in the Dropbox. I go over to her. I was like, excuse me, what did you return? She goes, Moonlight. I was like, wait, you legitimately rented Moonlight, rented it, and brought it back. She's like, yeah. Because I didn't think anybody was actually going there to rent movies. I thought it was just like a nostalgia bit that people were just kind of going by and taking pictures, right? So when I get in the store at 1030, the Dropbox was so full that when you opened it, movies just fell out. People are still going there. Well, sure. If you live near it, you'd still be day. using it. Well, that's the, is that, would you if you have Netflix? I don't, or if I don't you, think I would. Okay, have they? Did they speak at all about how long they think yeah. they're going to be around? Yeah. So basically, they just signed a four year lease, so they're at least at least four more years. Um, the store is actively busy. Yeah, just because you signed a lease, though, doesn't mean that you're going to have a, enough True. business to well, last the four years. But think about what think about the story now. Like it's all about people going there just to see it. But also, there's Fair. about a less than a hundred thousand people in the town and. A lot of people. So I was number 38,000. I'm the 38,100, whatever it was, person who has a membership there uh, at that store. So there's a lot of people who go there. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time shooting my story in the store 
because they had to start helping people who were going to the register renting movies. That's how busy it was at 1030 wow. in the morning. Um, so, and all new releases, like everything, there was a whole wall of Ready Player One. That was the crazy thing was walking through the walls and seeing the films that we've covered in these years just yeah, yeah. up there as new releases. And then when I'd pull Ready Player One down from, from the shelf, there'll be the blank box behind it to say that it wasn't there anymore. Right. And, and that was my favorite part of going is seeing what movie warranted a full right. wall of copies. Unreal. Remember when Titanic came out? Yeah. Was it like two walls? It was yeah. like, a, essentially, Blockbuster was full of Titanic. Dude, Blockbuster <laughs> and it was just two tapes. You guys yep. remember? Special two edition. tapes of Titanic where it split? Yep. Right. Where did you, it do you remember? Do you remember where it split? It was their two uh, faces. Right after right. he painted her, I thought. No. It was, it was no? when... Uh, when they after after the uh, Titanic hits the iceberg and Captain Smith is having the conversation with everyone and he turns around and he goes, "You may get your headline, Mister Ismay," and it cuts to black and that's when he says, "Like put in tape two. Oh my God, Jake, I remember that. Now that's that you said that out loud, I actually remember that. That's one of my favorite the, trivia questions on the splits. on the two tapers. Is can you remember where they split? Oh, oh that's wild. great. That's awesome. You may get your headline, Mister Ismay. Remember what mm. movies had two tapes? I remember Heat had two tapes. Um, I remember like the two tapes were so it was, it was an interesting thing. It was like Deer Hunter had two tapes. That's funny, Jake. I forgot about where it got cut yeah. off. That's hilarious. Um, all right, so to speed this up, basically the next day I was shooting this story there and um, the lady put me behind the counter. So they still have IBM computers. IBM computers from the 90s that they load with floppy disks that loads <laughs> the old Blockbuster software to rent movies. You cannot... Rent a movie there without the old software. The computer screen, I learned in everything. That so seems unwise. It's actually really cool. <laughs> and it's very efficient. I'm not saying it's not cool. It just seems no, yeah, it's unwise. Super Catch efficient. I'll tell technology. you why. I, I worked with the system. So, the guy, so I said, okay, I can't rent T2, so do you mind if I rent Jaws? She said, sure. So I went over, I found Jaws. I did all this in the middle of my story. And then I walked up, and I sat behind the counter. They made me a name tag. I scanned the movie in. I learned all the keys, everything. Then I looked at Sandy, and I, and I had no intention of doing this, and, I, and, and thankfully she was cool about it. I was like, Sandy, can I look up who has Terminator 2? I just want to know. Like, I, wanna, uh, I was like, I just want to know who has it. So I, I, she teaches me the whole search tool. I find this guy. His name is Brian. And I see his number on the screen. And I'm like, Sandy, can I call this guy? She's like, you can call him, but if it goes to voicemail, you're not allowed to say what movie he rented. Uh, it's like a privacy thing. So so I pick up the phone, and my bit was I was going to call him as an employee from Blockbuster. So three, four rings in, the guy answers. I say, hey, this is Kevin from Blockbuster. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> remind you that you uh, have a movie out that's, that's, that's overdue. And he goes, he goes, oh, my God. Actually, it's funny you just called. I have five movies in my hand. I just put them down. I was getting ready to walk out the door and return them. I was like, I was like, that's amazing. So then we started talking. This guy watched Terminator 2 when he was nine years old, changed his life. This was the first time he had ever seen a special edition where the, where the Arnold has the smiled scene. So we're like on the phone for 10 minutes just nerding out about Terminator. It was, <laughs> it was surreal. So then I, then I, then I, say, I said, awesome, awesome talking to you, man. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, re return them as soon as you can, please, because people want to rent these. Hang up. 20, 30 minutes later, I'm in the middle of shooting another part of my story. The guy walks in and returns it. Um, and I didn't know the other four movies he had. So he returns T2. I get his number. I was like, dude, this is unbelievably surreal and complete coincidence. Unreal. How, how the hell is this even possible? We do a couple of videos, or whatever. I shoot the story. I get his number. I was like, dude, we have to connect sometime next time I'm out here, whatever. I text him on the plane ride home. 
The other four films he had, one of them was True Romance, and the other one was Game Night, Bad News Bears. I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. Forrest but it was Gump. Just, uh, yeah. But anyways, that's the story. It, it was it was very surreal. It, 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 and to me, the whole overarching theme of this story that I'm telling right now, just movies bring people together. It's genuinely the truth. And it's that's like awesome. a truly amazing thing that people are still frequenting that store, renting movies, and returning them in the Dropbox. I actually got to empty the Dropbox myself and put movies back on the shelf, which is cool too. So You know what else brings people together? T-shirts. That's true. Well, I, or drives them apart, from what yeah. I'm learning, <laughs> apparently. Because <laughs> Jake a t-shirt. on the episode where you guys <laughs> both get to wear your t-shirts. Is yours a medium? I'll be bare-chested. Okay, all right. Yeah. That looks too good. That looks yeah, too baggy. Jake requested a small, which I have no idea why. Yeah. Sean, I'm gonna I actually wanted a boy's large. <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, but no. He went ahead and got I would need enough. a 2XL. Right. Just, to, they just, probably don't, just tell me they didn't have my size, Kevin. I'll feel better. They had your size in diehard font. <laughs> Based on last week's uh, show, when I went way over with the Star Wars questions, Gabe, did I go too long on my Boppa story? Or am I okay? All right, we got, oh, a, thumbs got a thumbs up. up. We're okay. Um, I won't even mention the event that I didn't get to participate in, which was but the Die Hard Nakatomi Eric Plaza. Went. Yeah, Eric, Eric went. went. I know, dude. And we tried to get you to go. We tried to get you to stay with us. You did. You really did. And I, and by the time I, by the time it, I had already passed on it in my brain, and I was convinced that I wasn't gonna. I was like, it's not gonna be that cool. I didn't think it was like, gonna be that as cool as what. Didn't it was it was much cooler than it ended up being. They Didn't really Eric went all take out. a photo with the lighter in like the exact same position where Bruce Willis shot. Okay, that scene so or something? that's that. It was moment. a setup. It was a photo op, right? It's a setup. Thankfully, yeah, yeah. I, I, in my brain, because I'm not there witnessing it, I'm truly like, oh my god, they climbed into the air vents. They let them go into the air vents at the bill. Then I like I'm analyzing every aspect of this photograph, and I'm like, oh, thank God, it isn't. It's just like I saw like a curtain, and they stuck themselves yeah. in and pretended. I, yeah, to be I in saw the, someone. In the I saw vent. someone posted a picture of like. Well, yeah, of of the setup. Sort so this of, is the 30th if you crop anniversary, the photo, right? It oh, really looks like it. This is the 30th anniversary of Die Hard, and they they screened the movie outside the Fox Building in L.A., which is the Nakatomi Plaza. And the one thing I think I said it on this podcast. I said as long as they don't go to the roof, um, and get to experience that. And then I saw everyone's pictures from like the helipad on the roof, and they had the the, the, pl- the place where he wrapped the hose around his his waist and jumped. And they did all things throughout the building where they put like bloody footprints going into the bathroom where yeah. he went after running through the glass. And then I was like, you know what? Like fear of missing out is an actual thing, and I felt it overwhelmingly. Uh, if it makes you feel better, <laughs> the anniversary for Die Hard Two will be coming any day now. We can all go visit Kevin. <laughs> I'm coming Die to Dallas harder. Airport. I'm coming to Dallas. Sean, uh, when Christmas. did when did Die Hard become your favorite movie? When did you know it was your favorite movie? Well, I mean, I I, I loved everything about it when I f- saw it back in '88. It was the first R-rated movie that my parents let me see by myself. They bought really? me a ticket. How old yeah. were you in '88? Uh, '88, I was 13 or 14. Wow, I was in that so you range. went in by yourself and watched it. Born in '74. Yeah, we had a um, movie theater in the Sunrise Mall on Sunrise uh, in Massapequa on Long Island. And um, my mom and her sister went shopping and they dropped me off it for like a daytime showing. And I don't, I mean, I was, well, I wasn't the only one in there, but I went by myself wow. and it floored me. It blew me away. Like everything about it is just everything that I love about movies. And so since that point, it's been like my favorite movie of all time. Jake, I've never asked you this question. So that's, that's the movie that got Sean into movies and loving films. Mine was Terminator 2. What was, was there one for you when you were a kid that like launched your love of movies? Probably Jurassic Park. Okay, that was the yeah, that, that, was the that was the one where like I realized as a kid, like all oh, the music in this is really cool and it makes me feel a certain way and like yeah. 
where you know the they're like oh like the dinosaurs they're like they did a really good job with the, the you know I like I wonder how they did it it made me start yeah. asking questions about why I was feeling the way I was feeling. That's cool. See that wow. to me that's a, it's such a transformative experience. I think that everybody can look back when they had that moment, and I think yeah, it's it's amazing. And and the, the fact that you even were asking those questions. That's literally what was going through my mind when I saw T2 for the first time was, how are they doing it? That music's awesome. And then Sean having that experience with Die Hard. I, I would, that might be an interesting thing we could do later on in the show with, uh, with other, like, have listeners send us in their transformative experience, like the movie that kind of made them fall. Because there was a whole thing going around the web the other day about, the, like, your best cinematic experience you ever had. And I think a lot of people chose recent ones. I think we all, like, Dark Knight, Jake and I were yeah, talking mine about. Yeah, was, mine was uh, Dark Knight with uh, my buddy Chase, who's watching us live right now. Hi, Chase. Hey, Chase. nice. But, all right, they, we'll do that sometime. That'd be kind of cool. Last week, we did a bet um, for the Mission Impossible Fallout opening weekend. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember what your guesses were. I remember even. what mine was, but I don't remember what anyone else's was. I wrote them down. Uh, and so, Gabe, what do we, we we do? Like closest without going over, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What was the actual that? weekend? Yeah. Well, the actual yeah. weekend was sixty-one point two, yeah. which was a record for the franchise, and that means Jake wins because <laughs> Jake guessed sixty yes. million. Do I get 60. a cake? So yeah, stop with the cake. <laughs> so he gets a cake, Hamilton. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Ash guessed uh, Ash Crossan, who was our guest last week, guessed fifty-eight. Kevin went fifty-nine. I went way over on 65, and Gabe, thankfully, lowballed for his, for his purposes, 56.7, because he would have had to give, uh, I believe we said $200, um, and something else that he had to give out, too. So we just kept piling on what he was going to have to pay. Um, so Jake wins. Congratulations, Jake. You I get a, a cake. A cake I Hamilton. get a cake. Yes, and we're not going to talk about Mission, because we've talked about Mission for four straight weeks, and <laughs> we love it. It's great. I've had enough. I gotta, we got we to gotta take a mission break. For a so bit. instead, let's talk about um, two movies that are in theaters right now. Uh, we all saw Christopher Robin, yeah, and I want to gush about 8th Grade just for a second. Let me gush about 8th Grade because you guys haven't seen it yet, um, and I'm going to tell people that they all need to go see it. It's this tremendous coming-of-age story by writer-director uh, Bo Burnham, who he brought it to Sundance, and now it's starting to make its way to theaters. It's going wide. Um, but it's truly just – it's not a – it's not an easy A – uh, or Breakfast Club type John Hughes comedy. It's it's more, it's so in tune with, and so I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old, and it's super in tune with what they are doing right now. Uh, this girl, Elsie Fisher, plays the main girl who's basically graduating from middle school and getting ready for high school. And it starts off with her recording um, videos for her YouTube channel, which right off the bat was like, oh, you know exactly what's happening with teenagers right now. And um they're all like self-help videos and ways to better yourself. And of course they have no views. And it's funny that like all the things she puts into the YouTube videos are things that she wishes she was really doing in her life. Um, but isn't. And the movie sort of shows you, but like, dude, there's a scene in this movie. So she gets invited to the cool kids party and she's not clearly part of the cool kids. And, um, she has to get into her bathing suit and head out to the pool where all the cool kids are enjoying themselves and it is the most terrifying scene I've seen in a movie, like more scarier than Hereditary or Quiet Place or anything where she just needs to get up the nerve to go through this sliding glass door and join the party. And it's like the anxiety that comes with being this age. And it's so, like I said, it's like the writing is so honest and so fresh and she's amazing. And I know that we're going to have a very competitive best actress field, but I would love to see a push for her to get in because uh, she's phenomenal is in that, this role. Uh, is that 824? 
It's A24, which definitely has sure. the ability, yeah. yeah, to get people in the conversation. Uh, my only fear is that just, you know, it, not enough people see it. It's in the summertime uh, and keeping it relevant as it keeps going. But you guys should actually absolutely go out of your way to go see it. Eighth grade re- is really, really good. I really want to see it. I remember seeing you tweet about that that scene specifically uh, and how horrifying it was. And I was like, how is that? That sounds like an incredibly, that, that, that's what got me interested in seeing it. I really want to see it. I heard it's great. So um, I, I Christopher Robin, what do you got? we haven't even talked about Christopher Robin. I know Jake, you liked it a lot. Didn't you? I, yeah. I, I, I borderline loved it. Um, oh, really? Nice, it, nice. It, I mean, it hit me in the feels, man. I mean, I, I'm, I know I joke a lot about this, but like I'm getting older and the, the nostalgia hits are hitting me a little bit harder than they used to. I was a big, really big Winnie the Pooh fan when I was a kid. Uh, my first like toy that I remember dragging around as like a little toddler was a stuffed Tigger um, that looked nice. very similar to to the ones in uh, in the movie. Just this idea of like waking up and then remembering things that were important to you as a kid that you've sort of forgotten about. I mean, I was editing on my couch yesterday trying to focus, trying to work. And my dog like literally came over and like placed her paw on top of my hand because she wanted me to play with her. And I just, I flashed back to Christopher Robin, which is all about growing up and sort of forgetting and not having time to to deal with the silly things in life. And I, I, and because you're working or you're busy or you're you're adulting in life, I put my computer down and went and like played and rolled around with my dog for for about half hour just to kind of, because I was like, you know what? Like stuff like that, that is what is important. And I think the third act it's a little silly because at the end of the day, it is still a family film. I mean, it's a kid's movie. The, the, the kids loved it in the theater we were in. But, man, the, the first two acts specifically just really, it got me, man. And I, it's so beautifully done. Mark Forster does a beautiful job, the guy that did Finding, Finding Neverland. It's just, it's really, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful family. In fact, I think it's my favorite family film of the year. Yeah, that's hard to argue against. Just that it's the voices. The vo- yeah. And how they how they brought Pooh and his friends back yeah, to Cummings. life. Like, it's yeah. incredible. How they do it? Um, is it what is it? Is it puppetry? How is yeah. it like Jim Henson type Kevin puppetry? Asked about it. Yeah, I asked about it. I, I actually think this is arguably one of the greatest visual elements I've ever seen, where a human being is interacting with a CG character. Um, oh, it's CG. It's CG. Here's how they, it's, it's unbelievable how they do it. First of all, there's a shot in the film, and you guys all remember this. Um, where you literally, I, I think it's the moment when Pooh puts his head on. Uh, on Ewan's uh, shoulder, and oh my Ewan God, run, runs his hands through the back of Pooh's head, and you actually can see his hands like going through whatever the stuffy fur or whatever. What, what would you call it? What, what is what is Pooh's like outline? And like, what would that be? Like a like a like a stuffy like a fur? What, what would you call that? I don't even know. Um, uh-huh. Whatever Stuffing? it is. Anyways, but he's not there. So here's how they do it. It's kind of nuts. It's actually very similar to how Seth MacFarlane did Ted. Um, they do something called a stuffy pass. So they essentially, the actors are holding stuffed animals, um, literally holding stuffed animals to, to, in order to shoot the scene first. I believe, I don't know how they order, how they do it. Then they get another version of the animal without like certain limbs, like so that they can like space it out, shoot it right, block it right. Hmm. Then they do a whole nother pass with nothing there. Um, and then those couple different passes and shots are what enabled them to then build the CG character into the shot. Um, they look photorealistic beyond belief. Uh, it, it actually floored me uh, watching Ewan's hand go around wow. Pooh's head and it almost looked like his like the, the fur or whatever was going through his fingers. Um, and then there's a shot in the film which where Pooh actually puts honey on Ewan's face 
um, which they which is very similar to how Pratt did the scene in Jurassic World Two where uh, the dinosaur licked him. They basically uh, Ewan said there was like there was it was basically poo on a stick. Uh, yeah, and they, that's what he said. And they basically like, had a guy <laughs> putting. But anyways, that being what aside, what about when Venom licks that guy's face in the right, Venom right, trailer? Right, right. right? That's very. We're talking similar, about good movies. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> but that being said, that to me was the most impressive part of the film. I, I think the movie's very good. I liked it a lot. I, I'm with Jake. I think the first two acts are great. Third act well, is a little goofy. But I will say this: they do a great job of hammering home, in my opinion, the most important thing that happened in this film, which I was a little worried about, was. You can't hammer home this opinion that you can't, you can't work. You have to work. You have to support yourself and, and be an adult. But there's also an ability to still be a kid. I think that all four of us on this podcast could agree that we still are kids at heart in regards to what we do for a living and the things that we get to do and interview and act, whatever it is. The movie pushes this message home that, yes, you need to work and support your family but also don't lose that kid inside. And I was a little worried they were going to go a route where they were going to say it's all about just being a kid. And I think it hammered a very important message home well, to the audience. That's, that's a why huge I thing for our family, too, to open the door to this. Um, because I work from home. And so my kids, especially in the summertime when they're home from school, like they're in here all the time asking me questions. And I have to be very conscious of being like, look, I'm, I'm working right now because otherwise they'd be in here all the time, especially during the podcast. I have to tell them so, but like, you guys will appreciate this, like 20 minutes away from the end of the movie. I came up with my joke. Like I couldn't wait to do this. So I'm sitting next to Brendan for during this movie and it's adorable. Like it's the most adorable movie. I'm going to push that. You guys have to go see Paddington too. Also, please see Paddington too, because it's so great. And it's similar to this. I think it's a little bit better actually. Um, But I just waited and waited and waited for this moment where um, as soon as the movie ended and Brendan turned and he was like, what did you think dad? I took out my phone and I was like, Brendan, hold on. I can't answer you right now. I have to check my emails really fast. (laughs) Work emails. And uh, he knew, he knows enough that like, that's my humor that uh, he basically, uh, went along with it but um that's yeah that awesome. it's a great message from the movie of balancing it doesn't shame people for working no uh it catches on to that theme and it, it does a nice job of just sort and of saying not to um not to to spoil the moment but is there any scene more heartbreaking than about halfway through who trying to understand what it means to fire someone and yeah. hearing that to like that that freaking i think i like audibly out loud was like jesus christ Right. Yeah. <laughs> what real movie poo. are we watching? Doesn't the same guy who voices Pooh voice Tigger as well? Yeah. Is it just, yeah. And, so like, and then it was Brad Garrett that does Eeyore, who does a great yeah, job. Yeah, that was great. Oh, Eeyore, Eeyore is Eeyore to me is the movie. Like that yeah. is it. Was, he is so funny and yeah. unintentionally because he's so, all I wanted was the Debbie Downer camera effect to come in from SNL like Rachel Dratch and go because like it was just I just loved that character. So yeah, yeah. to me, Eeyore was like was this like balancing act of comedy that kind of kept the film afloat. And then there was I I, I think the movie's very well done. I wouldn't say that I loved it. Yeah. I was very impressed with the visuals and very impressed. I thought Hugh McGregor was fantastic. Um, and the interaction he has with Pooh. I mean, those those scenes are priceless. And so, that, and to me, it was it was what the film sent me home with message-wise that I think stay with me the most. There are some things I didn't love about the film, but I, overall, I was very impressed with it. I thought it was a bold choice that at the, you know, at the end of it, in the end credit sequence, where half of Pooh's friends in the Hundred Acre Wood fade away because of the Thanos snap. That <laughs> oh, was God. bold. 
Did you guys old. see? Did you guys see that tweet online about it was it was a, it was a copy of the movie pass card and it was like halfway disintegrated like Thanos? <laughs> it, made, it made me laugh. Uh, I want to jump back just for a second because no sooner did we finish this James Gunn conversation, but Variety came out with their story saying Disney unlikely to rehire Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy director. Yeah. Uh, basically saying. Walt Disney Studios is currently not planning on rehiring the filmmaker who had recently fired after a series of offensive tweets. The feeling within both Disney and Marvel is that the dozens of so-called jokes that Gunn made about pedophilia and rape are unacceptable in the Me Too era and not in line with Disney's family-friendly image. So they're going to be needing a replacement for James Gunn soon, and I'm sure we will cover that when it happens. Everyone's um, saying they want Taika Waititi to do it. I mean, I could see that. I guess, but I still think it's a thankless job. Whoever takes it is just kind of not, I'm not going to say doomed. That's a little bit too extreme, but I don't envy the person who takes over that job. I didn't love guardians too. So uh, it doesn't, you didn't love Ragnarok. So I didn't love Ragnarok. You don't love happiness. I do love happiness. (laughs) Well, (laughs) speaking of happiness, that is a a movie that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman once starred in. And wow, <laughs> what a trend that transitions us right into wow. this week's That's a messed up and movie the too, Oscar man. for the segue goes to Hoffman Blend, where we are going to wow. choose our favorite performances by the incredible Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I don't know about you guys, but I thoroughly enjoyed uh, going back over his body of work to decide yeah. what I was going to choose this week. Um, he's one of those actors who I would sort of default. If I'm looking for something to watch, I would probably look for something that stars Philip Seymour Hoffman anyway. Um, and I've been told that Jake goes first. And Gabe, are we able to guess? Wait, all right, wait, wait, so wait. Before Jake goes, do we all have different ones? Do we Do we all have different ones? Okay. Uh, all right, Jake, all right. the only clue that Jake gave us was that he he's fairly confident that none of us picked his choice. Which makes me think that he is going to choose Boogie Nights. Uh, I think... Or Twister. Maybe Twister. Now I'm wondering if Jake and I have the same pick. Mm -hmm. I... I, Because I would assume... I think what's going on here is two of us have the same pick, one of us doesn't. Um, So that means one of you guys has my pick. And these are favorites. Remember, we're going right. to choose favorites because we want to passionately tell you guys why this is our favorite performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. If anybody has my pick, it's probably Jake. All right. So say what. No, but, so yeah, be careful but, because yeah. now you're essentially. But I'm giving. I'm giving mine. So I, I'm not going to guess Jake's because it will give mine away. I think. So I'm going to. So you think? Out. So your guess is just whatever it is that you pick. I think whatever you picked is what I picked, only okay. because. It's. I think it's a performance that you and I both love. Oh dear God! Just let him say his pick. My pick is uh, Lester Banks from Almost Famous. Ah, very interesting. I I connect to that movie uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, many years ago, it was because I connected with the kid. I mean, it's a kid that got to be a journalist and interview people. I mean, he's modeled after Cameron Crowe. He got to interview. It his is the heroes, Jake Hamilton idols, story, you know. By the way. <laughs> And now yes. it's funny is now I feel like I'm starting to connect with Lester Bangs a little bit more. This guy that's a little bit older in life and he's he's getting a different perspective on the business. Not as much of a cynical, but he's just a little bit more realistic. And uh, this idea of like what it means to be uncool in this world and, and this realization that like we're not, you know, as, as great a time as we have a lot of times with these actors and writers and directors, like we're not their friends. No. And, you know, what? One to me, one of the most hard-hitting quotes 
and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to screw it up, but something along the lines of like the best currency in this bank of world is what you share with someone when you're uncool. And I feel like the collection of, especially specifically all of us on this podcast that, you know, I think a lot of us at some point in our life can talk about being cool, but think about the connections that we have and what we share and the love and the passion. And he just captures that in such a way that is both pathetic and heartfelt. <laughs> and, and he does it in, in a way that I think no other actor could. And, and he's only on film for probably 10 minutes of that movie. But to me, he steals it. And when I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think of him being on the phone when when the kid calls him and he goes, "You're home," and he goes, "Of course I'm home. I'm uncool." And that just that I just that 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 one that one hit me. That one that, that, was one, that, re- one, hit, that one gets me emotional just thinking about. Really good explanation. The pathetic line is actually interesting as well. I think I yeah, that's a that's a great performance. I forgot about that one. All right, I get to go next. Now so that, I think I, I think that you two and I think I know who one? you picked. Yeah. And I think wait, I know who you wait, picked. So Sean and I have the same. I'm surprised. You I chose knew. What I, I chose. knew what you two picked. I, I if, if it ends up being that, I, 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 I had a feeling, and that's why I knew that you two weren't going to pick mine. Wait a second. Well, then, then if so, Gabe, uh, if you can confirm, <laughs> do Sean and I have the same pick? No, just say yes or no. Okay. Can, can I? Can I say out loud we'll what have, I think? We'll have Jake and then guess you two it. don't. Sure. You, you guys picked along came Polly. That's right for me. Sean, no. No, I picked Almost Famous. Oh, what the <laughs> hell? Lester Bangs. Oh, wow. Of course I picked Lester like, Bangs. Man, it's what a the twist. Greatest Gabe, you handled that. Oh, you handled wow. that so well. Way to go, Gabe. Gabe had the best poker face. I know people wow. didn't see him. I could have sworn that wow. the two of you picked along Kane Polly. <laughs> and I'll tell shocked. you, I, I picked Lester Bangs for a lot of the same reasons that Jake did, but this is the main reason why I picked it. I And because I almost went with Doubt. Because oh, I'm so a, excited. so amazing oh. in Doubt. And I almost picked the Savages because he's amazing in the Savages. Um, but when an when an actor um, gets a very limited amount of screen time, but owns every second of it, I mean, you think of you think of Almost Famous, and it has these amazing lines and these incredible scenes. The Tiny Dancer scene, um, Jason Lee in Almost Famous is fantastic. Um, but it's like people talk about almost famous and they always use Philip Seymour Hoffman and yeah. like, you'd think that he's the lead yeah. <laughs> he's because yeah. he's so, he makes such an impact with that character. And it's the way that he's played. Like the fact when he comes out of the ra- the radio station and he expects to be mobbed by fans and no one's there. Uh, and just like the connection that he forms with this young kid who's trying to break into the business is so amazing. And that is my, I love that because Jake, for the same reason, like, I mean, we see a lot of what we do in that movie and because Cameron Crowe was a Rolling Stone reporter and saw that side of the music industry, it's very honest. Like it's, he's, he nails it and writes from his heart. And so that cast performs a very heartfelt screenplay and Philip Seymour Hoffman is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant in it. So I love that. I love that character. I love that performance. That makes me so happy. Oh, it's great. I, uh, oh, I want to hug great. you. Let's, it's let's, truly let's hug over the podcast. It's truly great. Kevin, do you love... I'm going to guess that you love Along Came Polly just because it's not a side of him that, that he ever really shows. <laughs> Yours First just all, seems a little less significant. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Mine feels so... so I feel, ours. About the representation of our lives and our loves and our loss with sharded. Go ahead and tell yeah. me why Philip Seymour Hoffman's sharding is See, his is your favorite. See, your commentary and his performance is why you're wrong about it. I think oh. the I think the performance is actually one of his best performances. Not just my favorite. Uh, it's a, it's an incredible arc. 
Uh, pathetic is probably a great word for it. But the realization that he has towards the end, just kind of like what that character... Sammy Lyle is such an interesting character to me because he, what, he had that movie Crocodile Tears, right? That was like his big movie. And he still holds on to that to this day. Um, the boardroom scene alone, when he does Ben Stiller's job for him at the end, is, right. in my opinion, why I chose this. Because it was yeah. such a perfect scene. Because the guy literally gave the best performance of his career in that boardroom as the, right. as an actor. It was, un, to me, like if you think about the arc of that character, um, as goofy as that film is, and I think comedies um, get thrown into a category where you can't take a lot of things seriously or, or, or mention that it might be their best performance, but that's one of my favorite and best performances of his career. Uh, I wouldn't say it's his best, but I would say it's my favorite of his, no question. Um, I just think that the, the arc of that character is fascinating to me. Um, the realization towards the end when he when he has his meltdown on stage. Uh, there's just a lot to be said about who that guy is. I want to know more about him. Uh, and like what you said about Almost Famous, where he eats up the screen time, he does the same thing here. He's not on screen. He does. He's not on screen a lot in this movie. No. It, it, but it's, but you, when he you dominates. think of Along Came Polly, you think of Sharded. And I and I know or that make it rain. Listen, or make it scene. rain. That basketball scene alone is. Can I? One of the. I greatest... just feared. I feared he was going to have a heart attack watching that movie. <laughs> he's so red. Like I expect him to drop dead in every scene he's in. Can we say? And, and, and I'll also say that like, along came Polly makes me realize how good of a sense of humor that Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, he's amazing. Had. I, I got to interview him one time. And it was a pretty, I mean, he was a pretty serious interview. Like, he really didn't seem like he was in a joking mood. Right. But based on simply him taking that role and how much he dug into it, he had to have a great sense of humor. Like, he had to be willing to laugh at himself well, and laugh at the world. Otherwise, he couldn't do that. That yeah. role, listen, if I'm looking at Hoffman's career, I mean, I think Boogie Nights is one of his best. There's a great movie that people were tweeting at us about today that I forgot about that I gave a five out of five to and I reviewed it years ago is before the devil knows you're dead with Marissa Tomei tremendous movie. phenomenal film but along came Polly just to me it's like there's so much to that character that I think gets lost because it is a comedy that is a devastatingly a devastating character and that guy is living a very sad life and I feel yeah. I feel so bad for him um and he genuinely thinks that He's like this famous guy because of one role he had. And I think that I think in order for an actor like that to have an arc that big in a film yet be on screen as little as he was is just a tremendous look into how seriously he took that role in regards to being the best at it he could. And the idea of him giving that performance at the end in that boardroom is like it, it, the metaphor that being the best performance of his career is just unbelievable to me. On top of that, that film arguably has one of the greatest shots in the history of cinema. And I'm not kidding. When Ben Stiller's face what? goes up against that guy's st uh, stomach, hairy stomach no. in basketball. No. I, I is, will not let you claim. It's an amazing that, shot. I will not let you claim that is one of the greatest about, shots. See? You can do is, the Vertigo Dolly track if you I want to. I'm exaggerating that it's one of the greatest shots of all time, but it is I'll a I'll even let you do the shot. interstellar docking scene if you want to. <laughs> Dude, think about don't the brilliance Stiller's face of Stiller's face on that guy's stomach <laughs> while they're playing basketball. And then, like the sweat, the the, the sweat dripping from his mouth. <laughs> what is the sharded joke? I remember that sharded is a joke, but I don't remember the joke. It's the uh, it's the act of 
essing. No, 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 I know, but like, yeah. did, did he do it in the movie? Does he, he do it? He said he talks about it. He like he says, doesn't he say, "Dude, I just, I just." Yeah, sharded. Yeah, the word. Yeah, and, okay. yeah. And then he explains it. He, I think, I think, uh, I think the person who I don't, I think it was, was it Stiller? Stiller's in the scene with him, right? And he explain, mm-hmm. he says, "What does that mean?" He goes, "Well, it's when you, it's when you yeah. fart, but then some, yeah, other stuff." Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I need to sharded. I mean, it really oh. was a great. That, that's a memorable line beyond belief. But uh, oh. didn't, didn't they make an actual Crocodile Tears poster? Like, there's a real poster that they Probably. made for the film. I think he had it in his office or something. <laughs> with them on it it's so funny somebody needs to get role. that and send it to kevin please oh, get, get a crocodile tears poster and send it to kevin um along came polly was actually one of the audience picks along with almost famous <laughs> along with mission impossible 3 a lot of along... mission impossible 3 i saw that's the best villain in any mission film no question and along with twister he got Twister. mentioned for Twister also. And Twister's I another think... another kind of oddball comedy type role too. So yeah. I, I think it, it, it's those roles that I think truly show your range. And I think a lot of actors will say this. Comedy is one of the hardest things you could ever do as an actor. No question. Yeah. Drama drama is a little easier as it comes more naturally. Because a lot, a lot everyone feels emotions. And, and I'm not saying dramatic actors are, have an easy job. But to span that comedy... And to find that depth of comedy, normally you see it happen the opposite way, right? You see a comedic actor take on dramatic roles. But when Philip Seymour Hoffman went back and forth, it was just well. It was this amazing. is why. I mean, what? Who the heck is getting attacked? Is that Chicago? You know, it, welcome to Chicago. You know what that is? That, that that's the police coming because I said that the shot in Along Came Paul is one of the greatest shots of all time. <laughs> that's why. That's why they're coming. Jake dialed nine one one immediately. <laughs> Our friend needs help, please. Uh, I chose next week's uh, already, and then I uh, then we shifted verses uh, talking about favorites versus best. But I'm keeping it because I still want you guys to weigh in on your favorites. Um, this was suggested by somebody, and I forget who. We're doing the uh, hashtag ending blend. We're going to do our favorite oh, endings wow. of all time. Our favorite ending of all time. Now and you have, to justify why, you have to justify dude. why you're choosing the ending of this movie as your favorite wow. ending of all time. Yes. So start preparing that. Everybody can play along at home. This is not my pick. The, but the first thing that came to mind just now when you said that was the ending of The Mist. Okay. Oh. That's a good one. That's I'm not saying one. it's the best. But when I walk, do you remember walking out of that? When like he realizes that like that he could have saved not not had shot his kid and then the military shows up, yeah. Oh my god, what the <laughs> heck was That's, that? That could be a good one. Yeah. Now it doesn't have to be dark. It can be happy. Don't forget, we can actually celebrate happy endings if we want to. So start doing your homework. Hashtag endings blend. Um, and we're gonna wrap this one up. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in on the Facebook page. This has been episode number thirty-two. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes. Uh, and Google Play and Spotify and all those different places. Leave us a review. We, we love the fact that you guys have been leaving reviews. Uh, leave us a star rating. We will read reviews on next week's episode. Um, I'm not sure what else we're going to be talking about next week. What else is opening? The Meg? You guys have seen The Meg, Mile 22, things like that? Ugh, yeah. I know. I know. We're well, starting to get into the, August. I'm, I'm going to miss summer season. Yeah. Um, but we'll be around, so be sure to tune us in. We can talk about Mission Impossible next week. <laughs> Follow us we on Twitter. Dunkirk. At Real Blend. Um, all of our different locations and we will talk to you guys next week. So thank you so much for paying attention and for listening. Dunkirk.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.